Hello, and welcome to the Modern Maker Podcast for May 9th, 2019, otherwise known as, and I'm going to tell you guys right off the bat, this is a terrible holiday, Lost Sock Memorial Day. Wow. Yeah. Should we throw in some sad music there? We can, if we choose to. (laughs) Make sure it's royalty free. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I will say- Man, I don't know how I feel about that one. So I actually read about this one because I was confused about it, and it's actually not a bad thing. So- it's basically a day to go through your sock drawer, get rid of the unmatching socks that you're holding on to for whatever reason, expecting its mate to eventually show up. I right. think what you should do, and I got this idea, I'm sure other people have done it, but from a neighbor kind of slash big brother of mine growing up, which was he would just like throw out all his socks and buy new socks every like two years or so. Just hit the reset button. That way you've got, hmm. you've got all fresh pairs. You know, I do that whenever Hanes changes their boxer brief design <laughs> because I get kind of used to a certain thing. So I, I order quite a few packs and I'm like, OK, I'm good for a very long time now. I don't do that with socks, but it's a pretty good, pretty good mindset to have, I would imagine. Yeah. If you only had one type of sock that you own, right. then they all match up. You know what yeah. I do with orphan socks? What do you do? Camera lens cases or covers. Oh, that's actually pretty good. Yeah, I never thought about them as... They are almost perfect for a lens. And I always lose my lens caps, like, instantly. Oh, big time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, lenses really are, like, the same girth as an ankle. The real question, though, is this something you should do yearly, or is this every couple years? Probably every couple years, right? Unless you're really a sock loser. Yeah, or unless you're just incredibly, like, to the point about it. You don't... You don't have any compassion for socks, you know. I think that's what it could it could come by, you know, on month fifteen. That's but true. if you already sent its mate away, you find it and it's got it's got nowhere to go. Well, it doesn't have why to be a important. hard date. I think that's why it's important to buy socks that are all the same. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. All mates. Yeah. They all love each other, man. It's like one big swinging sock party. Right. Yeah. It's also I, why I you don't make... want those socks with like the toes in them. So there's like a right foot and a left foot. <laughs> oh yeah, that would be terrible. I don't think I've ever it. worn those, but actually, I wonder if those would be better or worse. For... Uh, never mind. I'm not going to get into it. Yeah. I'm All cutting right. myself let's, off. Let's leave it at that. What are you guys working okay. on? Well, before we get oh, into yeah. the nitty gritty of today's episode, I want to give a quick update on the certified banger stickers. Yes. Apparently, Chris. They were bangers. You killed it because they went in a couple of hours before we really even posted on Instagram. All I know is I woke up. The episode had been up for about three hours, and we already had about 80 emails giving us all of their information about the reviews that they gave us. So, stickers are out. We genuinely appreciate all those. That is amazing. I was expecting them to go in a couple of days, not a couple of hours. And with that being said, I think last episode I actually mentioned if these go really fast, we'll do it again. This went way faster than I expected, so we'll do it a little sooner than I expected as well. We actually had a listener submit some certified banger designs, right? Yeah, we had another sticker design come in. Were they... And they were good? Chris, you mentioned that they were good? Just joking. Yeah, they were good. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, you know, as long as we all agree on them, we might just do a fan-submitted certified banger sticker. Maybe we'll just do another one or Chris will make a second. Whatever ends up happening, we will let you all know next week. So we might be doing another round of this. So stay tuned and keep your ears peeled. Pun intended. All right. Yeah. Now what are you guys working on? Well, I guess I can follow up on the floor saga that I started last week. Yeah. And go ahead and knock that out. Well, it went incredibly well. I know I should have just said well twice, but I couldn't be more excited about this project. It was an absolute nightmare to deal with and to actually do. The time it took was probably four times longer than I expected. My knees are absolutely killing me. Mm. And... I am just like not interested in doing anything like that for a little while now. Yeah. It's one of those projects that are completely rewarding. And I, as long as the content does well, I'm going to be super happy that I did it. I'm already glad that I did it just looking at it. Yeah. But, you know, if the content pans out, that's just icing on the cake. But it's going to be a minute. It'll be a month or so before I do another project that was that labor intensive. The funny part about it was I just eyeballed it. I grabbed a few sheets of plywood. I'm like, yeah, this is enough to cover the floor. And it would have been enough to cover the floor before I cut them up into the small hexagonal pieces, which kind of created a lot of waste. And so I basically went through the whole process, got about two thirds of the room done, 
realized that I just didn't have enough to continue and had to basically go through that whole process of cutting them into strips, ripping them into hexagons, mm. and then assembling twice. Yeah. But it was a lot of fun. And yeah, I mean, I really don't have too much to go off of. It was it was really neat the way that they all self-assembled. Yeah. I guess it was a real testament to preparation. They came out clean even, looking. Like I, when you posted on Instagram, I think that was even my comment was like, this came out cleaner than I expected it. Like there's a lot that yeah. can go wrong <laughs> when you're doing something like that that's so repetitive. And if you are off a little bit, it's just going to compound and get worse and worse over time. But it looked real clean from the pictures. And, you know, I'm sure you were not doctoring those in any way. So I kudos appreciate to it. No, Mike. Those, were, those were fresh off the iPhone picks that have been no that have made light so far. But I think uh, I think the thing that saved me was the preparation and the fact that if I had a little bit of cumulative error... I could fit all of that into one piece. Maybe I would have to shave off, you know, an eighth of an inch off of one side of one of the hexagons and that would just fix the whole row. And then I could go on to the next one. Yeah, basically it's like a built-in reset. Yeah. It's a (laughs) I could control alt delete with the table saw. Wood tile memorial day. Exactly. Yeah. All the orphaned wood tiles are gone at this point. (laughs) Had a nice bonfire, got rid of all the waste. And hopefully I don't have to be doing that anytime soon. But uh, finalizing everything, I've just got to build a couple of transition pieces between the carpet and the tile. And then the attic to home theater renovation is pretty much a wrap. I can't be more excited to get this content out. This is something we might actually talk about a little bit later. And that is planning out big projects because it has been barren on the Modern Builds YouTube channel while all this is happening. But I'm getting a lot of content out of this space. I'm going to have about four videos coming out in the next few weeks with everything that I've been doing for the past month. So it's been a long lead. Happy to get this stuff out. What about you guys? Ben, what are you working on? Well, I posted the project for the planter side table combination. Yeah. Which is... The combo. Yeah. It, it, was a, it wasn't a very intensive build project it's probably something i should have put in more of the kind of design and sketching part but i really didn't sketch it out beforehand i just kind of made it up with some (laughs) scraps because i bought the planter and then i'm like hmm i like these fiddle fig leaves but i need a little more functionality for the space and what i'm working on now is the people from decked that that company that makes the truck drawers are here and last night we installed the drawers into the back of my new truck. So we're starting nice. the truck build out. It's a really cool system. I I guess I originally assumed that the truck drawers were on like drawer slides, just mm-hmm. bigger, more industrial versions, but they use wheels from like skateboards and okay. it's a really cool system. So the more weight you put into drawers, the smoother they slide. How does it work then once they get past the truck bed? So I have a six foot truck bed. I got the the slightly longer version. The drawers extend about four feet out from that. Okay. And then it creates a really flat deck above the wheel wells so that you can put a whole sheet of plywood on easily. Nice. So that was the main thing that I wanted is I wanted storage where I could le- throw the tools in the back of the truck from a construction site, have them all locked up, make a trip to Home Depot, not worry about them getting, you know, someone just walking by and snagging them out of the back of the truck but then still having a clear flat bed for plywood, two by fours and all that kind of stuff. So I can, I have plenty of clear material storage, but all the tools are secured and locked away underneath it. Yeah. Actually, you know, what's funny is like, so when I had my Tacoma, because between the wheel wells is less than four feet. So I actually would just get, they have like little cutouts where you can just put a two by six that basically makes a little platform that you can used to put the plywood on so it almost solves that problem too you're really not losing much of anything yeah so this was the this was the first modification i did to the truck got a a few more things coming can do some custom bumpers got to get the winch and all the lights and stuff in there and yeah also going to do some solar and uh, extra battery storage and things like that too to, to kind of really make it the sort of ultimate functional construction mobile that sounds really awesome i'm excited to see it what was the how how does everything assemble what is it is it mostly like molded plastic is that the majority of the components so it's like high hdpe the high density poly something ethylene yeah something no so classic plastic it's like that real rugged milk carton crate plastic 
but okay, it's cool. steel reinforced. So there's like steel bars running through it, mm-hmm. and then anodized steel for like the some of the tracks and hardware components and all brass inserts. The part I was interested in was how they're going to make it sort of waterproof because it is it basically recreates your truck bed up higher, and it does it in two big pieces. Hmm. And what was interesting is they use the the center support between the two panels that create the new truck bed. It's actually like a little rain gutter in it. So ah. it has brass inserts and then it has this really nice kind of rain gutter thing. So all your overlaps are taken care of and any water that makes it through gets sort of funneled out the back. So it's, it's a pretty clever system. It went together really well. It took about two and a half hours because we were filming as we as we did it. But I hate assembling things like I, I don't mind assembling the things that I make, but yeah, I assembling say, something like that somebody else makes, it's I'm just like, I never know that if I'm the idiot or they're the idiot, right? <laughs> I always assume it's me. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I normally do. But then every once in a while when, when there is actually like a piece missing, then you're like, oh, I was, I was thinking it was my stupidity this whole time, but they screwed up. No. But uh, this yeah. went together like a like a breeze, and yeah, it, it was it was fun talking to the guys and seeing because they make them for all different kinds of trucks. So it was mm-hmm. fun, sort of hearing how they have to adapt them for the different models, full size trucks versus smaller trucks, and they basically have to always keep updating their designs and get information back from the trunk companies about when they you know change a model for a new year and stuff like that. That's what I was about to say. So are they? just receiving specs on the new truck beds or are they bringing in like bringing in the new model truck so they can do their own measurements and field tests they get the specs but sometimes the when the actual trucks come out there's a few last minute changes so yeah for i got the 2019 uh toyota tacoma you know they have the tie downs that are built into the truck bed like those galvanized steel loops yeah yeah those in the specs had three holes and in reality had two holes so we had to drill an extra hole through the the bed liner Hmm. Mm. but that took like you know 15 minutes yeah on the fly yeah awesome what about you chris so i put out the conference table that we were talking about last week so when we were talking about it last week i was actually kind of in the middle of it and wasn't sure exactly how i was gonna i i knew roughly how i was gonna do the electronics trough i'm doing air quotes exactly so then actually doing it in practice i think it came out better than what i had initially planned i was initially planning on having it kind of like screwed down but then i thought you know probably a lot of like dust and things can fall in there so it doesn't really need to be on there that strong so i ended up just using magnets to hold it down which are not very strong but they just like kind of keep it in place I'm sure I'm not the first person who's used that technique. I'm sure other people have done magnets. It, no, I think they're pretty common. Hey guys, I came up with this new invention. <laughs> magnets. Okay, now let me spell it out for you. No. Yeah, but yeah, that's been going well. That was a really fun project. It came together way quicker than I thought it was gonna. Just because you picture something big, so oh, it's gonna take forever. But it was not filming. I feel like I could easily bust that thing out in like two days. I imagine. Yeah, it was. It all flat packs too. Correctly. Correctly. Correct. <laughs> If you pack it correctly, yes. Awesome. Yeah. So now I'm working on my next project, which I put a little Instagram story up to see if people could guess as to what it was by just looking at one of the shapes. And surprisingly, a few people got it correctly. I, I guess I'll say <laughs> what it is right now, even though this will come out well before the video. But this is kind of a dumb project, I guess. But it was something that seemed fun to do. So I'm going for it. And I'm making my TV look like a giant Nintendo Switch. And so the two, I'm building basically two of the controllers that'll go on either side of the TV that are cabinets to store all of my video game accessories. You know, now that I picture it, it doesn't sound crazy. But when you first said it, because I didn't see that Instagram story. So this is all new. This is fresh for me. When I, when you first said it, I just thought it was the dumbest thing in the world. But then your TV is actually behind you and I got to picture it a little bit. Yeah. It's not a terrible idea. And that console that it's sitting on is so big that it might actually work. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's not going to look... In- it would look funny on a small console if, like, the yeah, TV I was think overhanging <laughs> the console. But in this, yeah. it should be fairly proportionate. And obviously, it'll be kind of goofy and whimsical looking. But I, I think it'll work. And if it doesn't, I'll get rid of it. But, man, wait, matching that those that colors... Thing? Whew, go ahead. I'll, I'll go back to that. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. You go ahead. No, so... I I have the Nintendo Switch that has the gray controllers, but I wanted to do the blue and red color, which seems like more classic Switch. So I borrowed them from my neighbor. And when I got him, I'm like, is this right? Because I've only ever really seen pictures. I've never looked at them up close. So I was even Googling, like, are there multiple colors? Because the red is 
just impossibly neon looking. And so right. I, it's almost got like a little purplishness. Yeah, it's to like it. a pinkish, orangish, reddish. Yeah. Extremely bright. So I took them to Home Depot and tried to do a color match, but they couldn't do that. And then we tried using, they have like an app where you can just take a picture of it and it'll suggest colors. And we tried some of those, but they came out way off. And that's probably just because of, you know, the lighting and all that kind of stuff. It's probably pretty hard to to nail it down. And so then what I ended up doing was just getting, choosing out cards that were kind of close to it, but that looked good together. So I think it's one of those things where like, if you're not seeing them together, you're never gonna be like, wait a minute, that's not the right red, but it'll right. evoke the idea of it. And honestly, like, I think that those controllers look cool in pictures, but if you see any pictures of them, they do not look like that in real life. They look much more neon. And I think the pictures look better than the actual controllers look. So I think hmm. it's a good compromise to make. Yeah, sounds like it's going to look good as long as you don't store a red and blue switch in in the thing. You have to use the gray version yeah. in the one that Could you get build. Some, yeah, yeah. Otherwise, you wouldn't so you don't notice, notice the, the difference. color difference. <laughs> yeah, if you saw them next to each other. But actually, no. This is so as goofy as this project is. It's actually the first time that I've done a kerf bending project. That's what I was about to bring up. I did see that picture on your Instagram story, and that's how you made all of those radiuses. Yeah. You did a bunch of relief cuts, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So it, it's funny. Like I was really trying to figure out the right way to do it. So. I was like calculating the the perimeter of what that arc would be and doing all that. And I was like, wait a minute, I have a bendy ruler. I'll just like hold it up to this shape and measure it out. And so then I was researching, I actually found online, they have calculators that you can use that'll tell you where to place your curves and like to achieve different sorts of radii, radiuses, whatever, plural for radiuses. <laughs> and it kind of worked but then didn't quite like it turned out to be one of those things where like you calculate it all and you do it and you're like I don't know it just doesn't look good because to match the radius that I needed it was actually so few cuts that it came out looking extremely pumpkin teethy well yeah it was like a uh, it would be like a you know a 20-sided a circle so uh, instead yeah. of a curve faceted yeah it, exactly very faceted and so smooth and it still looks a little bit like that but like I ended up putting probably three times as many curve cuts as what it said that I needed. And I think that that came out looking a lot better. And it's one of those things like maybe it's not as, eh, it probably would still be the same strength because it's just like wherever one curve mark is or wherever one curve is, is going to be your weakest point. I don't think it would necessarily matter how many you have. And it's the type of thing where I don't think it's ever going to affect this, but I was using MDF. I don't know if that makes a difference, but I had to do a lot of testing on like how deep can you cut the curve and it seemed like there was a very small margin for if it's too thick, it'll snap while you're bending it. And then pretty soon you're just like cutting through the whole thing where you're almost like you can see the burnish from the underside, even though you haven't quite cut through the whole thing. But it seemed like there was a pretty small margin. So I don't know if maybe using normal plywood or even just like a hardwood would be a better solution for that maybe. You've used bendy plywood before, correct? Yeah, the only time. So I actually have a bunch of it and I was, or not a bunch, but a few sheets of it a sheet of it maybe. And I was thinking about using that. We had used it when we built um, Mike Industrial Maker that like curved to make the form for that curved bench. That was the only time that I used it. And that does work pretty well. It's a lot thinner. So I would have had to stack up like four sheets of it. I, I basically would have had to do Whoa. like a bent lamination. Okay. So I was like, I don't know if I want to get into all that. Let me just try curve bending it first. And I think this worked well enough. Yeah, the picture looks really clean. I'm sure it's going to be great. Are you planning on doing any sort of filler or sanding aggressively to knock down those facets, or do you think you're just going to run with it? I tried sanding it a little bit, and I was yeah. I started getting worried that I was going to go through and get to the kerf, even though it's all glued to it. So I think it would actually be fine if you did that, and you could probably just like come back with like Bondo or something and, and fill it in and make it smooth again. Melted crayons. There you go. <laughs> I'll come back in there with that wax reinforcement. But it, honestly, it's the type of thing that you'll very rarely be able to see this project from the side because it's pretty much up against a wall. And like to get to where you'd see it from the side, it's just a very weird place to stand. So I'm not super worried about that part of it, but I've got it, it came out. I think it's good enough where it's at right now where I don't want to fuss with it too much. Um, I moved yeah. it on. I got the doors put on last night and like just matched up the curves on them by using a flush trim bit and. Yeah, so far it's it's working out pretty good. And it's it's one of those goofy projects, but there's actually quite a bit of technique to be learned from it for 
things that I can incorporate into a more normal piece of furniture down the road. Yeah, and I think practice that doing things like that is good practice for building furniture because you're doing techniques that you normally wouldn't do and you're building shapes that you normally wouldn't make. And even if that doesn't directly translate into a Nintendo Switch shaped coffee table at some point, you'll be more comfortable with curve cutting or, you know, there's, there's a lot of influence there. It's totally worth it doing things that are a little outside of the box. Not to mention for the content sake of it, it's awesome to experiment and try new things too. You never know if people really love that sort of stuff. And if they do, awesome. You'll know to do more of it or you'll know to do less of it or whatever. Right. All right. Should we get into a topic? Well, before we do, listen to everyone's favorite part, a commercial break from one of our awesome sponsors. The sponsor for this week's episode is Trade Coffee. Trade is a subscription coffee service, and they have these really cool personalization quizzes where you answer a bunch of questions, and they pick out coffees that are roasted to order just for you that match your palate. I tend to like dark roasts that I use with my pour-over devices, and they've recommended a bunch of great ones. Right now, I'm using the Sea Bright Blend from Verve. And I know Chris and Mike, you guys got some favorites as well. That's right. This week, I am actually going to recommend a decaf espresso blend from Dune Coffee Roasters, who I mentioned last week. I'm totally hooked on them, and the reason is because I've been doing a lot of late-night editing sessions, and if I drink real coffee... I'm not going to bed at all that night, but I can get a decaf espresso blend, still get that craving fixed, but not have it affect my whole night. Gotcha. So it still just like fits in. You got something to sip on that's kind of pacing yourself as you sort of work. You got that reward sort of built into your process. But That's exactly it. Yeah. You're not getting all hype and uh, going too over the top and loud and energetic on that voiceover. Nice. I've been drinking Ad Astra Signature Blend by a company called PT's Coffee. And it was the first one that I got after I took the quiz. And as you guys know, I'm fairly new to coffee drinking still. I probably have it two to three times a week just when I feel like I really need that extra little kick to get some work done. So I would probably benefit by taking the quiz again since I'm still kind of finding my palate, so to speak. And you can take the quiz yourself and sign up for a subscription at drinktrade.com. And if you do it now, you'll get 50% off when you use the promo code MODERNMAKER. That's drinktrade.com promo code modernmaker for 50% off plus free shipping. You know you're going to need coffee, so you might as well just have it all set up for you where it just comes right to your door. So once again, drinktrade.com promo code modernmaker. As for topics for this week, I thought we would talk about, well, let me backtrack a little bit. I just noticed that on YouTube, I uploaded my first video about five years ago, and I was thinking, wow, that's half a decade. That's that's a real, a real milestone. And then I also started thinking about, I don't know if you guys are familiar, but have you heard of the 10,000-hour rule by yep. Malcolm Gladwell? Yes, well, sir. Yeah, was that a book or was that some sort of talk it's that a, became really popular? It was an idea that he threw out there in his book, The Outliers. That's and it. the basic okay. premise is that he was studying people that were world-class at what they do. Athletes, musicians, just people that had developed a craft and were recognized as being exceptional at it. And what he found is that, you know, there, the one of the commonalities was the amount of time they put into developing it. And for what we do in sort of making, I've always thought, well, you know, that rule doesn't really applied to me because the this is for people that are doing one thing that are just working on like hand carved things using this set of tools or you know people like Ashley Harwood come to mind right who's just just is a master of of turning wood mm-hmm. the idea of having one specific st- skill instead of just being generally exactly skilled at multiple things okay but then I it. started thinking about well I've definitely put in more than 10,000 hours of doing what I do, of <laughs> of creating different things <laughs> out of all different materials, turning it into content. So I do think of my design and making practice as a specific thing. And I'm like, well, what does it mean that I've put in now over 10,000 hours into this type of endeavor? And I started thinking of it in terms of like a video game, that it's, you know, that there's multiple ways to sort of improve your character standing. You know, there's the acquisition of some sort of currency, there's like new skills. And the reason why I like to think of it that way is that it's improvements to soft skills are often not perceptible in real time. 
And okay. so you don't always realize how you're getting better at something. And that's why I think why video games are so exciting is that it's very noticeable and concrete when your character has some sort of like level up or something, something like that. Real life, unfortunately, is way more subtle, which I think is why people like artificial things. But the, the th- one of the things that sort of triggered this whole uh, thought process was the, the last video I posted on Instagram where I was cutting a circle freehand with a circular saw and I didn't I haven't really thought of myself as getting better with my tools because I don't think of myself as a person with good craft or a very craftsman like person I think of myself more as a designer so I don't and then people kept saying oh you're you're pretty good at freehand cutting and I was like huh I guess I I, over over five years I don't use a jigsaw that often but often enough to where there is a noticeable difference if I stop to look at it. And then I started thinking about all all the tools that I use. And I'm like, yeah, I guess skill is sort of accumulating in a noticeable way if I actually stop to notice it. Oh, I bet. I remember whenever I first started building things, I only cut things freehand and I was so bad at it. And then once I realized you could pair 99% of power tools with a straight edge, I refused to use anything different for the longest time because I just kind of sucked at it. But it wasn't until I started working with you quite a bit more that I noticed the way you kind of just run and gun on things, depending on what the project is. And it kind of gave me a little bit of confidence to be like, okay, instead of clamping down my 12-inch speed square when I'm doing circular saw cuts, kind of using that little hack, I'm just going to hold it with one hand and cut with the other. That was sort of the first step. That was that was from like level two circular saw skills to maybe level three circular saw skill. I'm still level and one then, on circular saw skills. <laughs> and then eventually you realize like, oh man, this cut doesn't have to be perfect. And so you just kind of start cross cutting things by hand until eventually you get to that point where the straight line you rip or you cut is pretty damn close to straight. And that in that moment is pretty cool because then like what you were doing on the most recent sofa you built, Ben, where you are able to just kind of lay out some quick lines to get an eye for what you wanted to do, then you can just cut it. You don't really have to spend that time setting up. And if you need to make any adjustments, you just make another cut. Right. Exactly. I don't know if I don't know if I missed that Instagram post, but you gotta explain to me how do you cut a circle with the circular saw? But before Jigsaw. you do that, Jigsaw. Oh, I thought you were saying with a circular saw. No, but I also used, you know, for the the sofa, it was all freehand circular saw cuts, just following the line. Okay. And then also, this is sort of an aside, but when you were describing yourself as not a craftsman, I was thinking, what other tool companies can you use to describe yourself by? So you got craftsmen, a person could be rigid, and they could also be husky. (laughs) They can. (laughs) But I like that. So the idea is, even though there's a bunch of micro skills involved in what we're doing, the macro skill is the one that's most important or the one you're focusing on and the macro skill being YouTubing and building things for media? Well, I've uploaded about 250 videos. So that's about 250 projects. And so rather than spending 10,000 hours doing one thing, I spend 10,000 hours distributed amongst 250 different things. Right. And I'm right now I'm getting ready to do a talk at Maker Faire in San Francisco. And the premise of the talk is going to be how I turned a vase into a house. And it's going to sort of talk about all these different skill sets that I've experimented with in from doing my first project, which was cutting a glass bottle in half. And what I learned out of that was I physically acquired tools. I got a glass cutter. <laughs> I, I learned a specific knowledge base of how to cut and sand and work with glass. And 250 projects later, I'm building a whole house. Yeah. And with each project, it's not that each project got bigger because sometimes they get smaller, but with each project, I'm normally adding, you know, I'm buying a new tool or a new piece of hardware or a new type of material. I'm learning a new technique using existing tools or because I'm adding those new resources. And the accumulation all of a sudden makes building a house from scratch not seem that daunting. You know, the irony is that uh, in that new house that you built, not one vase. Oh, no. There's a vase. Dang I'm, it. I'm, I've been making it now. I'm making it out of all <laughs> so the, leftover, the leftover uh, ABS pipe. So sometimes we don't see the progress that we're making. And I hope what the, the talk inspires or creates is a sense that you don't have to have this mastermind strategy or plan for how to get better at something. You really just have to f- figure out a way to feed activity and useful activity into your schedule. 
if you get that yeah. you'll see them them gains well it's funny it, it the video game analogy is almost perfect whether you've got a sports game like nba 2k or you've got a game like i don't know skyrim each one of them has an overall skill and then skills for all of the individual traits or right, like, values for each of the individual traits for like three-point shooting, free throw shooting, ball handling, everything. So my questions, I've got a few. The first one being, what's your angle grinder skill at? <laughs> uh, That's got to be the most noticeably improved, right? My angle grinder skill, I would say, is like an eight or nine out of ten. Dang, mm. that boy can grind some angles. My yeah. what about you? My table saw skill probably like a two or three out of ten. <laughs> Chris, like, what's your what's your highest highest individual tool skill? Sanding, baby. No, uh, <laughs> nice. Probably the table saw. That's yeah, probably where I've saw. logged the most hours. Yeah, that's probably true. You're right, man. I can push boards right through that thing. <laughs> One smooth motion. But right, I think there's also but what's your a table physical saw dexterity to handling large pieces of material on a table saw like there's a muscle memory yeah like, i don't like think it's about physical and... strength as as much as it, as it is right like knowing your balance points <laughs> knowing exactly where to the all all the ways to get leverage to keep it snug up against the fence in a way that's not jerky mm -hmm. right but what's really funny about this whole premise i think is context and maybe perspective because if you ask me now if you're like mike what's your what's your overall skill i would say like oh i don't know like on a scale of one to a hundred, like a sixty-five, right? I'm somewhere uh, in the middle on the on the top side of average. I'm a very average. Really good builder. at estimating how much material you need to cut. Right. <laughs> See, I'm still making those mistakes. Like I'm still at average into intermediary, but you know, I'm a little past 50 percent. But if you ask me when I started three years ago, that's probably what I would have said. You'd be like eighty-five. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know, man. I'm building a lot worse. of pedal boards. Yeah, I'm building a lot of pedal boards right now when in reality, all I'm doing is cutting like one by sixes and using a brad nailer to put them all together. At the time, my whole scope of what building things was, was not as, as right. I don't know, Robust. detailed as it is now. Yeah, I didn't realize that there were so many individual skills. I thought there was only like five skills. Right. The, more, so, the more that you learn, the more that you're learning you don't know. Exactly. Yeah. So what about you guys? When you started, what would you have rated yourself and what would you rate yourself now on a scale of one to hundred, your overall skill? I think I always rate myself low. Like I still feel like mm. I'm just kind of as just being a handy person. I think I'm below average. I've, okay. I'm just not a super handy person when it comes specifically to furniture. I think I'm pretty average. I feel like I could walk anybody through anything that I do with very little instruction, you know, if they were coming from nothing, I could get them to be as good as me within a month, I think. That's interesting. You're attributing teaching skills to your overall skill, which is smart because that's what we're doing or that's we're sharing, right? So I guess that is a big portion of what we're doing. Here's how I would evaluate skill in a more tangible way. It'd be, would I be comfortable doing it on a live stream? <laughs> right where, where <laughs> yeah. i can't How much edit am I everything else out? would i look like <laughs> right. a, like a fumbling idiot or would i look like a maker ninja i would yeah. feel confident it would just be very long and boring for the viewer so if i had to let's say install a shower valve i would feel like a bumbling idiot like i would not want to do that on a live stream is right. one right. i wouldn't remember all the instructions even if i did read them which is doubtful and also, I just figure like I would show like a, a mechanical lack of dexterity and just general not understanding of mechanical components and, and things. It's it's one of the reasons why I like Bob's uh, from I Like to Make Stuff's content so much. Did you guys see the Potter Wheel he did recently? I did, yeah. yeah. This is another project that I feel like is the result of a hundred little experiments in different areas creates the confidence to make something like that. Yeah. Absolutely. And I remember when he was doing like pallet wood benches that were great, but this is such a great utilization of all the little skills that he's made using basic power tools, but then also using 3D printing, understanding electrical components, and all these little things that he's experimented have resulted in something that none of the steps are complex, but he created a freaking potter's wheel that works. Like, that's awesome. And I think that that kind of a, that skill creep is really fascinating because it just happens and then all of a sudden we feel more confident so that that sort of player rankings of that i think like if i was to do like a live stream demo doing the kind of like the plywood table i made out of a single sheet is like the kind of project i would feel very confident doing 
because mm-hmm. I feel like there'd be visual drama of turning one unit of material into one finished project using minimal tools, but using them with with pretty good dexterity. The other thing that I, I think, you know, people always sort of ask me why I don't use a workbench and always are working on the floor. Yeah, right. I started thinking about it. I think it actually helps me follow a line because I'm directly above it. Like if you, if you guys ever cut something out on a scroll saw or a bandsaw, yeah. if you're looking obliquely from the side, it's hard to see the line relative to the blade. When I want to cut something out really accurately, I tend to try to move my eye almost to like a, a bird's eye view where I'm looking directly down. And that way I can really see the feed of the material along the line into the blade. Yeah. And, and when I cut things, if I'm directly above the blade, I can follow the line, especially with like a jigsaw much more clearly than if I'm standing to the side of it trying to do it. So I I think that's actually subconsciously was one of the reasons why I was always positioning myself directly over the material. Yeah, that's a good point. Because like even when I was making those templates for the the conference table last week and I was doing kind of what you would do where I was just using a circular saw to cut out all the straight lines, I was doing it up on the table. And especially once you start working on longer pieces and you're like really trying to stretch your arms out to make the cut, you're losing a lot of the leverage and you're changing the way that you have leverage on the blade. Whereas if you're over top of it, you can kind of crawl and keep your arms and shoulders, which are the more important part in a certain range where you're comfortable instead of having to like really just stretch everything out. And now you're like depending on wrist muscles and stuff like that, instead of what you were doing in the beginning of the cut. Yeah, it's an interesting thing, right? Where have you ever seen the belly putter in golf? Yeah, it's that yes. it's that long putter where you put. <laughs> it's it's kind of like it's it's kind of lame for golfers who don't care what they look. Yeah, like, exactly. like if you were playing pool and you had like that little bridge thing or something. Or, but it gives you a like it gives you a point where you can like have a pivot point basically on your body, right? right. That's how it works. Is that what it's doing? Yes, it, it, it okay. creates an anchor. So it's like an mm. ugly way that's actually more efficient. Yeah, and then the other sort of thing that made me think of that as like a physical skill was. Remember when Shaquille O'Neal was really – well, he was always really bad at free throws. Yeah. Like amazing you remember basketball Shaquille player. O'Neal? And people were actually saying that he should th- he should shoot his free throws granny shot style. <laughs> yeah. Because he'd be more accurate with it. Get that soft roll. But yeah, he didn't exactly. want to do it because people would make fun of him. And yeah. they would because – Oh, no, man. <laughs> make fun of him to his face. Right. So it- – it's funny to think that there's common practices that aren't necessarily the best way to do it, but there's cultural association that this is the the identity correct way to do it. So that's why sometimes people stick to them. Yeah. Got to look totally. good cutting. That's why I do it on the tabletop. Do, do it on the, on, on the workbench. But just think of how terrible 10,000 hours of granny shot practicing would have been, you Oof. know? I wouldn't have been willing to put in that effort. Can't do it. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of gym time. Yeah. But I guess the, the, the sort of the, the question I want to throw to you guys is what projects would you consider now? doesn't mean you're ready to do them that you would have like no way considered like a year or two years ago. Mike, you got a, a, an answer for that? Because I, I actually kind of wanted to go back to the beginning of what you were talking about, what it triggered okay. me. So the, but if you have a project you can think of, Mike, or do you want me to buy some time for you? I can vamp. <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm ready. But if okay, you really- <laughs> let's hear your project and then I'll go back. Well, it's really funny. I I mentioned to you, Ben, a little while back. I wanted to do a Potter's Wheel, and you mentioning the fact that Bob built one is is a reminder of that. And <laughs> I'm, remi- I'm remembering the Rockler uh, retreat. I remember you kept having ideas that were things that people have already done. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> you guys. They got this great idea. I'm going to take these little squares of paper and I'm going to put adhesive on them and you can stick them Just on to the things top, so like, you could remind of yourself of post-its. Yeah. We'll call them postums. Postums. Yeah. I feel like that's my whole life is I get really excited about things and people just say like, yeah, Mike, that's a that's thing. That's called a wheel. But it was, it was that idea of the fact that Bob has done so many mechanical things, whether it's prop based or, you know, project like furniture project based. All of those small experiments that he's done that have taken him a step further outside of his comfort zone Mm -hmm. basically led to him being able to make that potter's wheel efficiently without too many mistakes and being able to workshop and work his way through it pretty efficiently. And whenever I mentioned to you a few months ago that that was something that I was really interested in doing, I was completely overwhelmed by it. I didn't even start it because I hadn't taken those baby steps. The the big hang up for me was figuring out the motor and pulley system because that's something I've 
absolutely never done, uh, let alone kind of even researched a lot on. So it basically came down to whenever we were talking about Potter's Wheels, the idea for us, if, if we would have gone through with it, was let's do a kick wheel. And so it didn't need a motor and it didn't need all of the the electronics aspect of it. We could figure out some way of creating a flywheel that you basically kick kind of like a traditional potter's wheel, whether that was, you know what, I'm not going to give away all the secrets, but however we made that, it would basically just use the weight of the flywheel underneath to keep the plate spinning to where you could do pottery wheel without electricity. Anyways, but that was that was immediately what led to my mind was the fact mm-hmm. that I hadn't taken those baby steps that Bob had. Yeah. I think it Bob's immediately the king gave of baby him steps. an advantage at, the, at that. Which is awesome. Yeah, he's the king of baby steps is yeah, that what you just done, said. He's done so many <laughs> he's he's done such a variety of projects that he has that base to pull from and is probably yeah. confident to try a lot of those things that I wouldn't be and you, and you might not be. And I think that kind of gets back to the point of why I was why I say I could teach anybody to do what I do relatively quickly, I think and and I don't consider my skill level that high is because kind of what you find out in doing any of these things is it's intimidating at first just because you don't have that confidence because you don't know and once you know, you realize like, oh, it's actually pretty easy. Like there's nothing that I do. It's almost like a magic trick getting revealed. Like you see it and you're like, "Oh, that's how you do it." And it's like you don't need any kind of like special skill or ability. These are things that any typical person can do. Yeah. And and there's nothing that I do that I feel like is out of that realm. And every time I learn to do something else, I kind of just realize that same thing over and over again. But to get back to so going back to the beginning of this conversation, the whole 10,000 hours jumping off point, I think Ben kind of said where my mind immediately went. And that's that like the 10,000 hours that we're spending are kind of on how to be somebody who makes projects and turns them into content. I'll just say that as a way to simplify it. And it's always why I've kind of had this feeling of like anybody who's had any kind of success within this space, even if I didn't like the stuff that they were making, say, say they made totally crappy projects but they got them in front of people and people watch them and they liked them, I would still argue that that person is really good at making a bad project into something compelling to watch. Like that's yeah. still the skill that they've developed and have become really good at and should be is worthy of respect. Right. But what I'm suggesting is that there's another skill that's happening too. If you experiment and do different things. And that is this accumulation of mini skills that can then Voltron into something major. Right. And that actually becomes more noticeable. Here's here's what what, the way I would sort of sum it up from an audience standpoint is that most people aren't going to discern the 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 skill differential at the high end. Meaning Mm -hmm. that if I I can't necessarily tell the difference between a fifteen dollar bottle of wine and a hundred and fifty dollar bottle of wine of the same sort of varietal. Right, like thirty five bucks. That 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 little high end difference is. To, to someone that's also not an expert, which is what most audience is, becomes hard to discern. I right. can't tell the difference between the world's greatest violinist and the 50th best violinist in the world. But what I can tell is the difference between someone that plays the violin versus someone that's like at a street corner that's like has a harmonica in the, their mouth playing the guitar and like stomping their foot to like power a drum or something. One man band. I like it. Now, that isn't aspirational music necessarily, but it's easier to to for a a non-expert to ascertain that there's a lot more going on. And right. those are the kind of skill sets, although it's not the most flattering analogy that, that I think we're we're developing. So when I think back to myself three years ago when I first started as a woodworker, I'm probably better, but I don't necessarily feel like I'm any better than I was then. But if I look at my ability to come up with a project, film it, get it edited, get it up there, be taking care of multitasking and doing other things at the same time, I can say, oh yeah, I'm way better at that now than I was two and a half years ago or you know, whenever I first would have you know, really gotten into it and started doing it at a more, with more frequency. The, the other thing that I think is interesting is sort of levels of ambitions and intent is that I, I'm always end up talking to people that are interested in doing a startup or interested in doing something similar to what we all do. And I find it, I'm the most dubious of their success when they talk about just getting started, but wanting to do, oh, 
I want to build this entire makerspace compound that's huge and you have makers from all over the world come in and then I'm going to build this giant thing and that's what they're talking about they're getting started with. It's not that they can't do that, but that there's a lot of little things that go into those big ideas that you probably don't make them beginner level appropriate. The same way when I hear someone's talk about, you know, they're, they're just starting a company and looking for investors and they're talking about how it's going to be a billion dollar company instead of talking about how do we make the product great or the service mm-hmm. fantastic. When if, I think if I would have thought five years ago, you know what, I want to build an entire house on a YouTube video series. And if I would have spent five years just trying to do that one project from there, I think it would have taken me longer than if I totally didn't think about it and just thought about building the next thing that I could, accumulating a bunch of skills to the point where, and not just skills, resources, connections, sponsors, financial assets, yeah, friends that can help me out in a pinch with, with, with specific challenges that I don't know anything about. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine trying to edit and sort through all that footage no. and even even having a clue of how to produce a video like that? It, like, what do I film? What do be, I not film? It would be playing yeah. a video game on at the highest level. It'd be playing the last level of a video game the first time you played it. Right. <laughs> You're like fighting the boss having never played again. Right. Like, play, like, yeah. But also like for, for, for my particular personality, a video game where it's just about the, each level's the same, but there's just like it's just faster or like more enemies to defeat. Mm-hmm. Isn't that sound like that fun? Like I like a video game where ooh, this level you're underwater, or this is the flying level, right? And I think that's sort of my approach to picking projects and making stuff is I want to have those different experiences in them. And there isn't a direct master plan like, okay, I got to schedule my year so I learned this skill here and this skill here. But over time, you accumulate all those things and it really enables you to to feel like you can take on bigger and more complex things and involve multiple disciplines. I think that's super true. That's what I've been trying to do with the renovation content is build up a set of skills that when it comes time to build or flip a house here soon, it's going to be a lot less daunting and a lot of those individual steps will be easier. And whether that's running electrical or doing drywall work or flooring, tiling, all these things that I've done in the past year, having never done before, those aren't roadblocks. Those aren't hurdles. Those aren't speed bumps anymore. Those are just another step in the process. And that's really all it is, right? Is if you have an end goal, how do you limit those speed bumps so that you can have as direct of a path towards that end goal as possible? And the beautiful thing about it, which this conversation is kind of enlightening me to a little bit, is the fact that as you get rid of those speed bumps, you're still getting output out of that. So even though this attic renovation is largely practice, like I mentioned, for flooring, electrical, drywall work, finish, finish carpentry, that sort of thing. Even though it is just all it is is a means to reduce more hurdles and roadblocks, I'm still going to get a killer video out of it and a lot of awesome content on Instagram and everything else. So it's worth it on both fronts. That's what's awesome about pursuing a larger end goal. Good point. Cool. Now I got a question. Oh, awesome. Okay, let's hear it. What are you obsessed with? I think that's what you were about to say too, huh? Yeah, I have one. If you guys go for it, if you guys need a moment, I don't. So do it. (laughs) The content that Mountain Dew shot with Russell Westbrook at 1032 Space, the store that I built, is now out. It came out this week. The drink you love. (laughs) Yeah, all I do is drink the. You know, Brad Rodriguez from Fix This Build That loves loves Mountain Dew. So shout out. That's big ups (laughs) to Brad. Big ups to Brad. No, it's it's basically a two minute video somewhere around there. But basically, what they did is Mountain Dew spoke to Caleb who is a buddy of mine that started that clothing store. And for anybody that doesn't know, Russell Westbrook is an NBA point guard. He's really good. And some would say he's the best dressed in the league. But (laughs) is he really good? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, put him in the right system. That's all I'm going to say. But anyways, that content came out. The long story short of it is he came into the store, gave one of the employees the day off so that he could basically do like undercover boss, like Russell Westbrook was like manning the store so that while customers came in, they would just be surprised by him being there. It was funny. They shot and edited it real quirky. It's good. It's quick. I will have a link to that in, you know what? Just just Google, do time off Russell Westbrook and you'll find it. He's got plenty of time off now. Exactly.
Oh, f- <laughs> I'm sorry, Chris. I just got that joke. He does have plenty of time off now. It's fishing. Gone fishing. Yeah, they're out of the playoffs. All right. Sorry. Ben. So mine is going to be Deck, and you can check them out on Instagram at Decked USA. Look, we all need a little more Marie Kondo-style organization in our life. I certainly need a lot of it. And I'm going to start with my truck. So I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm kind of excited. So we got the drawers in, and now I'm going to build out all the little individual organization and figure out, like, the, you know, which side I want the circular saw and drills in, where do I want, like, you know, sanding and accessories. But, yeah, I, I'm really excited about just having this one moving kind of toolbox workstation that's completely well thought out and designed to be exactly or to perform exactly the kind of tasks that I do. Awesome. I still don't have anything, but I will say I woke up with a song stuck in my head this morning. You guys ever do that? So I'm just going to shout out the DuckTales theme song. For anybody, for anybody who isn't familiar I, with know, that, it, go check like it. That's one of the best theme songs. That you picked it. Yeah, it's an awesome theme song. Are you familiar with that, Mike? Or are you too young? I'm familiar with Ducktales. I do not remember the theme song. All right, well, at all, you though. go Google that. You go Google that theme song. After I just remember the image of him diving it. into a pile of gold coins. Yeah, he would swim in the money. Good old Scrooge McDuck. But I'm not going to sing the song. But everybody, if you're not familiar with it, go listen to it. It's a banging late '80s, early '90s cartoon theme song was it sort of like the full house theme song that Much same, better. same style uh no you know what? I'll listen it, to it, it has its own back. thing going it's got its own thing going i'll report back next yeah week. next week we want to hear your review of the ducktales theme song yeah i've got another quick obsession chris since you mentioned music and ben you mentioned those guys that stand on the corner and play three instruments at the same time <laughs> yeah yeah it's a combination of the two it is the guy is named shaky graves so like shaky is in shiver s h i k e y and then graves like dead, <laughs> but you're gonna want to watch the audio tree his first audio tree session. So just Google shaky graves audio tree and make sure you watch the first one, not the second one. Homeboy is amazing. He plays uh, the guitar, does percussion, all kinds of stuff at the same time, and it's tasteful. And none of them are compromising the other. Like, it's still a really good performance. So, and again, check that's it out. shaky like the pizza place and grave like the stuff you put on mashed potatoes minus a Y. Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it. Well, we appreciate you guys listening. Thank you so much. We appreciate all the reviews that people were kind enough to give last week. That's hopefully going to give the podcast a little bump. We'll see. Uh, if you're not already, you should be following us on Instagram. I am at Modern Builds. Chris is at Four Eyes Furniture. And Ben is at Benjamin Ueda. We appreciate you guys listening and all the support. And until next time, this has been the Modern Maker Podcast. Bye, everybody. See you. Bye.